Good evening. To start, I have to say how grateful I am to be here tonight. You know, more than the honor of sharing my story with all of you, I'm grateful to be here in Immaculate Conception Parish. See, I grew up in a homeschooled Protestant family of eight, and whenever we would go to spiritual events, to church, to vacation Bible school, one question would always pop up. Have you received Jesus Christ into your life as your personal Lord and Savior? Well, when I was seven, I did just that. And growing up, I got used to reading the Bible, praying, talking about Jesus. I was a really religious kid. But for all that, it wasn't until two years ago when here in this parish, I fell to my knees and said amen to the body of Christ, that I finally, truly received Jesus Christ into my life. So again, I'm grateful to be here tonight. Tonight, I'm going to share my story I'm going to tell you a little bit about what my life was like before I turned it over to Christ. I'm going to talk a little bit about the conversion process. And finally, I'm just going to show how it changed me. This story begins when I was five. My family lived on a little farm in Illinois. And like many of our friends, you know, we owned property with pastures, barns, and sheds. And it happened that while we were visiting some of these friends, a girl just one or two years older than me brought me to a secluded place and suggested that we remove our clothes for some show and tell. I really don't remember how that happened, but what I do remember is that when I saw the unclothed body, something flared up in my heart and I discovered a burning curiosity for more. The girl had the good sense to tell her family and they put a stop to it. But that didn't change my heart. In my innocence, I knew immodesty was wrong and I was ashamed. I felt judged by adults. I was sure they knew about me and despised me. To this day, I cannot remember a moment from my childhood when I was able to simply look an adult in the face. I do remember my mother noticing that change, though, because one day she caught my chin in her hand and she looked right at me and pleaded with me, Zachary, what's wrong? Look at your mother. And I could hear it in her voice, that if I did not just trust her and look back at her, that I was going to hurt her. And I couldn't bring myself to do it, and I broke away from her. I would often go to bed 
praying to God for forgiveness and mercy until I would fall asleep in fear of judgment and hell. And I was five. You know, unresolved sin will fester in the heart until it becomes a poison that just spills over. You know, about this time, I discovered my ability to tease my younger sister. And I would provoke her in such a way that our mother would only see her reaction and not my instigation. And just pressing her buttons and watching her reactions and watching her get in trouble for it just gave me this delicious feeling of power and control. <laughs> you parents know how much strife children can cause that way. And turmoil really became the norm for many years. You know, one time, sick to death of us fighting, our mother sat us on the couch and swore that we would never leave until we became fast friends. Well, after about 20 minutes of that, I caved. And I pleaded with my sister to make up. But she wouldn't have it. Finally, the power was hers to make me suffer. She wasn't letting go. She sat on that couch, arms crossed, her face just flushed with fury, implacable against all my pleas. Our mother caved before she did. You know, but let's fast forward a few years. You know, I'm 13, and I wander into the kitchen where my older brothers are talking about something called pornography. And I didn't know what that was. So when I asked them, they wouldn't tell me. And you know, it's the 21st century. What do you do when you need an answer to something? That's right, you, you Google it. Well, in this case, that was a bad solution because that first web page opened up and my eyes went wide. I quickly tried to close that and I walked away. My heart was racing, my hands were shaking, and soon enough, I was back. And that really characterized my spiritual life for the rest of my youth. Because time and time again, I would try to walk away. And before I knew it, I would be back. You know, I would turn to the Bible and pray. And I would ask Jesus for forgiveness and to help me out of it. As Protestants, we were told that all you had to do was confess your sins to Jesus and you would be saved. Faith was very personal. So on my own, I would try to change. And I remember one example of a time I really went for it. You know, I'd read a lot about fasting in the Bible, and I'd read about Jesus and Elijah and their 40-day experiences. All right? So I figured I'd try something like that. But I knew I couldn't do 40 days and keep up with class, so I settled on 14. And for two weeks, I didn't eat a crumb. And whenever I got hungry, I would just read the Bible and pray. Because I knew 
that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, it's just the sort of thing I would do. I would devote myself to some extreme pious exercise. And for a while, it would work. But then something would happen. You know, maybe it was family strife. Maybe I'd get incredibly lonely. Maybe I would get frustrated. You know, just whatever it was, whenever life became difficult, I would relapse into video games and pornography. And those vices were my life, and they consumed me. You know, I'll be honest, they were exciting, though. I did a lot of what pleased me. It would be that food, games, or pornography. And I had a lot of fun. And just one thing I've learned from my past is that the excitement of sin is powerful. Because even though I knew I needed to change, I couldn't break away from it for long. But at the same time, I knew I wasn't free. My lack of self-control taught me that I was not a man. And that knowledge just left a bitter taste in my heart every time I lived in this perpetual state of tension, you know, where I was just torn between a life centered on myself or one grounded on Christ. And that tension was truly terrible. Praise the Lord, it's not the end of the story. You know, because my heart just doesn't desire pornography or incessant video games anymore. You know, I can watch television, I can play video games, but neither one dominates my life. You know, I used to eat when I was lonely and frustrated. Uh, I, can, I can still struggle with that one from time to time. But, but, you know, I've lost 50 pounds over two years. And people who knew me, they just, they look at me and they're like, Zachary, and <laughs> just, what's happened to you? Well... I'll tell you what happened to me. The truth found me. And more than anything, the truth is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And this is how it happened. By the time I was ready to ship off to Coe College to finish my college education, my older brother, Timothy, had discerned a call to the priesthood. And in the evenings, at the kitchen table, he would discuss and defend the Catholic faith, doctrine, and morals. I didn't usually pay too much attention to him, honestly. But one night, you know, as I was getting a snack, he said something that really changed the direction of my life. He just asked my father, where do we get our authority? And like a good Protestant, my father said, the Bible. Ah, ah, Tim said. But you see, nowhere in Scripture do you find that teaching. Sola Scriptura is self-contradictory. At that point, it seemed like the discussion was about to devolve into a debate. So I left. 
But those words struck me. Sola Scriptura, Latin for only scripture. Right? It means that the Bible is the only authority a Christian has to teach the will of God. It's what Martin Luther and other reformers used to justify their break from Catholic authority. And when my brother said that doctrine was self-contradictory, instinctively I knew he was right. Because the teaching that says all teaching must be found in Scripture is not (laughs) found in Scripture. So, in other words, it's an idea based not on logic, but honestly on the convenience of heretics. And boom, major breakthrough moment. You know, when I was making my way upstairs to bed, and another thought came to me. If Sola Scriptura is false, if this notion that Christianity is just you, the Bible, and Jesus, if that is false and I'd been living it, then I'd been living a lie my whole life. John 8.32 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I knew those words. I knew them by heart. But I wasn't free. Because I knew the Bible. I memorized the Bible. And you know what? I preached the Bible. And for all that, I could not live the Bible. So that night in August, I went to bed knowing I would become a Roman Catholic. And I knew I would become Catholic, but it did take a solid year to act on that knowledge. I told Tim I would sign up for OCAA right away. But the stress of moving to residential campus life took over. So I moved to Coe College with my girlfriend in August of 2012. And in just a real quick snapshot of my life, I would spend my days in class, you know, my evenings in video games and pornography and television, and my nights in bed with her. And that year, I became aware of this growing emptiness in my heart. And the more I felt that, the more I turned inward to video games, pornography, being with my girlfriend, just any distraction I could get my hands on. But the more I did those things, the worse and worse and worse it became. That tension I talked about grew stronger and stronger as I struggled to make up my mind whether I would follow God or myself. And now my girlfriend was clinically depressed. You know, she came from an unhappy home and depended on me to make her life happy and livable. And more than anything, it was this relationship that made me realize to my core that I needed Jesus Christ 
back in my life. Because by the time we went to Co, we had dated for a year, and I loved her. But I wasn't the man I needed to be for her, because I was consumed in myself, and she loved me. But she depended on me for her peace of mind, and wasn't able to function as her own person. And you know, the more she would need me, the more I would retreat into myself. And the more I did that, the more she would need me. So as that relationship just got worse and worse, I realized that I was powerless, on my own, to put my life back in order. I realized that I needed help. So when I returned to Co in August of 2013, the first thing I did was sign up for RCIA. Dave Martin set me up with Alex Seelau and Saint Wenceslas, and once a week, I would just go to class and listen. It was a quiet place where I could reevaluate my life, and the more I listened, the more I realized I was where I needed to be. All right, so that was good. Okay, my conversion had started, but it still wasn't real to me. You know, it was it was all up here. Was something I knew I needed to do. It did not reach my heart until I began to pray the rosary. My girlfriend was a fallen away Catholic, and she would go through the motions with me, but she didn't particularly like my conversion, especially since it required the pursuit of chastity. She said. That stopping sleeping together drove a wedge between us, and that it drove us farther apart. And that's a tough reality check for a lot of couples: just how consuming sin is, because you take that sin out of the relationship, and you realize there's not much left. And I just remember. Over and over again, that last year at Co, just trying to comfort her when she got depressed, and she would say things like, "I don't know why you're bothering with all of this. Catholicism doesn't change anything. It doesn't make a difference. God doesn't care." And I would try to tell her, "No, no, that's not true. God loves me, and you, and I love you." Things are difficult right now. I know, but they'll get better. I promise. But no matter what, she didn't want to hear it, and I couldn't figure out why. Until one night, alone in my dorm room, I was praying the rosary. And I was just going over the beads when a thought came to me. I realized that every time I'd been taking my girlfriend to bed without any sort of a marriage commitment, that I was telling her with myself 
that I didn't care about her. I only cared about what she could give me. And then I remembered the anguish in her voice and the tears on her face when she denied that God had ever loved her. And then I knew. I knew that part of the reason that she could not believe in God's love for her was because I, the principal man in her life, was not witnessing authentic love to her. I saw clearly that my sin was desperately hurting the person I loved and cared about most in the whole world. With that realization, filled with bitter remorse, I broke down over those rosary beads and I cried my heart out. And it was a defining moment of my conversion because in it, I saw that I had wasted away all of my gifts, family, friends, education, and romance, that by being consumed in myself, I had hurt the people closest to me. Before I realized that, I was willing to go through the conversion process. After, I was determined to go through it, no matter what. After that experience, everything fell into place. My questions on Catholicism were answered one by one. But honestly, I didn't have that many. You know, for example, a lot of Protestants get hung up on the sacrament of confession. You know, they say, why do I have to go confess to a priest? But you remember that little boy who was ashamed of his sin. That boy wanted to confess, but he had nowhere to go. So that sacrament just made sense to me. You know, I even went to confession, you know, just kind of marking it off my list. You know, I, I knew I had to get it done before Easter, so I just went. Little did I know that confession would change my life. I met with Father Chris for my first confession, and I took about an hour of that poor man's time while I choked past my shame and waded through my sins. And when it was done, and I received absolution, I went home, and I went on with my life, and I didn't really feel any different. Ha, but, but, a few things were different. Because first, I started enjoying Mass. Before confession, Mass had been a chore, right? It had been a bore and a chore. I, I was busy, and I wasn't receiving anyway while I was in RCIA, so I didn't really see the point of going. It was just another thing I had to do to mark off my list, my to-do list. 
after confession, that changed. You know, I enjoyed being there. I felt that peace in the parish. And I looked forward to Sunday morning, even though I was still busy, even though I still wasn't receiving. And secondly, after confession, I just started feeling more friendly in general. Now, back then, I didn't connect that improved outlook to confession, but looking back on it, the correlation is pretty obvious. Now, for example, I used to be a big debater on Facebook, you know, with friends, family, you know, atheists, Jews, Hindus, whoever. I would argue and defend Christianity and the Catholic faith up and down the wall. And I would be very direct and oftentimes very rude. I would just lay it out as like, this is what it is, this is why it's true, this is why it's true, this is why I'm right and you're wrong, and that's pretty much all we have to talk about. <laughs> you can tell that probably got me really far on Facebook. But you know, the more I experienced the peace of confession, the less I wanted to do with any of it. You know, those sacraments are just powerful. You know, and it's easy for me to just get focused on those debates as a means for conversion and evangelization. But I soon found that one good confession and communion are worth a thousand good debates. The sacraments are powerful, and they do the work even if you don't know it. You know, I knew kind of the basics of being Catholic. I knew the outline. Go to Mass once a week, you know, in order to receive Jesus, no mortal sin. So if you got to take care of that, go to confession. I knew, like, the barest of bare bones basics. I didn't even have a good attitude about my conversion. I wasn't filled with some holy zeal that caused me to change. Sure, I was determined to go through it, but, you know, kind of like a mule is determined to bear his yoke, you know? I was not excited about it. You know, in my life, I could barely turn myself over to the sacraments. And that's all God needed. I, I really can't stress that enough. You know, um, my life didn't do an instant 180. I wasn't filled with this radical desire for immediate change. In my weak, frustrated, and broken life, I barely had the energy to turn myself over to the life of the church in the sacraments. And again, that's all God needed. So I was confirmed here two years ago. Praise the Lord. A new life and a new path was carved out for my life. But I had to start walking it. And I've just got a few things to say about that phase of the journey before I close for the night. First, life didn't get easier. Oh no, quite the opposite. Right? I moved to Denver, Colorado, where I struggled to make new friends. I struggled to find decent work. I struggled to mingle with the parishes. Everything was this huge, epic battle for me. And when I realized that, I told my girlfriend we needed to break up while I set my life in order. 
And when she quickly found another boyfriend, I had to struggle against a new kind of loneliness, frustration, and despair. And you know, for years I had turned to distractions in video games, pornography, food, anything, when I was lonely and frustrated. And I had to struggle against that as well. You know, it wasn't that life suddenly became difficult. It wasn't that it suddenly became a huge battle. It was that I became aware of the struggles already there. It was that I started taking part in the battle already raging. The last piece of the puzzle of my conversion really falls into place when we talk about the Blessed Virgin. See, when I was confirmed into the church, I wanted to leave all my sins behind and just start over. You know, but I was still holding back. I was willing to deny my urges and work on disciplining myself, but I wasn't open to God's will for my life. Back then, I wouldn't consider a celibate vocation to either the priesthood or religious life. I just didn't think I could be happy that way. I had a plan for how my life would shape up, and I was okay with God's plan only so far as it lined up with mine. I didn't trust my Heavenly Father to take care of me, and it was a problem because every couple of weeks I would get tired, lonely, and frustrated with my life. Now, I would fail to trust the Lord's plan for me, and I would turn back to the consolation of sin, particularly pornography. And then it was back to confession and starting over. And I wasn't happy with that cycle, but I didn't know what to do about it. Well, last winter, I moved back to Cedar Rapids for work. I just started looking for a way to advance in holiness. My spiritual life at that point was just unbearably intense because I was becoming aware of how much Christ had done for me. And you know, whenever I failed to trust him and turned back to the consolation of sin, I felt that jagged edge of my own betrayal. And then when I went to confession, I would feel God's love and mercy at work in me. You know, it was like the world stopped and started every couple of weeks. And after about six months of that, it became real clear to me that I could not handle jumping between those two extremes. I had to push forward or go back to my sins. But I'd already been back there, and I knew it was no place I ever wanted to be ever again. So I had to go forward. But how? 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 That was the real question. I needed new ideas. So I started reading new books. And last summer, I discovered one by St. Luda Monfort called True Devotion to Mary. You know, this is one of my little sister's books. 
that she left behind when she joined the poor Cleos in New Mexico. And according to St. Lou, true devotion to Mary simply means surrendering your life to Jesus through her. It means giving up everything you are and own and hope to be to Mary so she can refine it and pass on what is good to God. It's a consecration where you let God work how he likes to work best, through Mary. And as I was reading through the book, I just started to realize how much of my life I was really holding back from God. You know, I was struggling to trust God. For example, I was afraid that if I gave Jesus through Mary everything, then she would make me become a cloistered monk. <laughs> you know, I'm still not exactly thrilled at that idea. But, but here's, here's the thing. If I really trust that God is my Father, who loves me and takes care of me, then I know that whatever he calls me to is for my greatest good. I know I can trust him. And so if God called me to religious life, I know that I would find perfect fulfillment in it. And essentially, that's all true devotion to Mary is really about. Trust. And I just want to ask all of you, do you trust God enough to take over your life? Do you trust him enough to lay down your hopes your dreams, your fears, even your vocation? Do you trust God to take care of you, even when things seem to go horribly wrong? I didn't. Even after confirmation, I had just about zero trust for God in my heart. And that was the real reason why I kept going back to confession for the same sins over and over and over again. And as I just read my way through true devotion to Mary, I, I realized the obvious, that the only way to holiness, to sanctity, is to trust God, to get out of his way and let him do the work. So for 33 days, I devoted myself to that consecration. I would wake up, pray, go to work, come back and read until it was time to go to sleep and do it all over again. Every spare moment I had, I just poured into it. And I have to say that if OCIA was the engagement and confirmation of the wedding, of my conversion, then consecrating my life to Jesus through Mary was its consummation. Because after that, there was no going back. Again, if OCIA was the engagement and confirmation the wedding of my conversion, then surrendering my life to Jesus through Mary was its consummation. Because after that, I could never go back. 
essentially, Mary is the sum of the differences between Protestants and Catholics. You know, both communally, knowing you're not alone, that you have Mary and the angels and the saints all praying for you, and sacramentally, as mother of the Eucharist. She tied these loose ends together for me and really confirmed me into the fullness of faith. Because all my life I'd struggled with temptations of the flesh, and all my life I had been a boy, unable to achieve self-control. I had lived focused on myself for myself, and it was the Blessed Virgin who taught me how to be a man by surrendering my will to God's. When I consecrated my life to Jesus through Mary, my heart changed completely, radically, exponentially. As a man, I'm always going to have to say no to the temptation of sexual immorality. You know, that's just part of life. You know, even now, I might have to say no a hundred times or more in any given day. Ha, but, but, the difference is, it's not a bitter struggle anymore. It's not oppressive. It's not like I'm putting on armor to fight a terrible dragon threatening to hurl me into the abyss at every step. No. It's more like housekeeping. It's like I'm sweeping the floor or shooing away flies. It's just as natural as breathing. You know, I've been happily chased, happily chased, since my conversion. And all thanks to Jesus through Mary. And that is just one of the many, many, many reasons why I love the Blessed Virgin. Because she makes my crosses so much less difficult. Whatever I'm struggling with, I can take it to her. And so somehow, it all gets smoothed out. It's, it's what mothers do, right? You know, they, they make life simple. You know, kind of like when you're two and about to have a temper tantrum because you can't get your own pants on. You know, that is a very frustrating thing for a two-year-old. So your mother, you know, she sees you struggling, she comes over, she sets you straight and helps you get your pants on, and it's all good. <laughs> two seconds ago, you were about to sob with frustration, but now you can zip her up and go play. Thank you, Mom. Mary can just make life so simple for us. You know, and I would like to be a big boy and get my own pants on, but I still need her help in one way or another every single day. And honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way because Mary makes my life simple. Finally, I just want to thank all of you for taking the time to be here and listening to me. I really hope that what I've shared encourages all of you to keep loving and keep praying for those who've fallen away from the faith. 
because there are a lot of confirmed sinners like me out there just waiting for the right moment of grace to change their lives. Keep praying. Don't give up. It can happen before you know it. Good night, and God bless.